Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to kind of get away from First Peter a little bit this morning, thinking about things that a lot of you have come to me and talking about and um, different issues that are plaguing you, and, and a lot of this boils down to is we're fighting temptation. We are fighting temptation. We're fighting against forces that look to drag us down and try to get us to forget. Try to get us to forget what the Lord has already promised us. Forget what the Lord has already done for us and what he will continue to do for us. So getting into it this morning, uh, you may know this man. He was popular on the radio for quite some time, and some like him, some did not like him. But that man was Rush Limbaugh, and he died February 17th in 2021. And now whether you agreed with his opinions or not, millions listened to him daily because as he spoke his views on politics and things of the day, his listeners felt like he was speaking on their views of the various topics of that day. And I only say that only to say this. It takes a very special person to be able to speak for others. It takes a very special person to speak for others. But in this sermon, we want to turn our attention to the very special person that wrote the book of James. So you can turn there now. James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at mainly verses 13 through 16. James 1, 13 through 16. Now, James had the ability to make his readers feel what he was dealing with as far as the issues and, and how we live with them and how we deal with them. For example, we all have to deal with temptation. We all deal with temptation. But look how he speaks to his readers. 13 through 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. James uses the word temptation in uh, two ways, basically. The first way he uses the word temptation is by descri describing how Satan tempts us to sin. Satan is very good at it. We all know that. He's had thousands of years of experience knowing how to tempt Christians to sin. For example, suppose a doctor tells a man for health reasons... He has to quit smoking. 
But that person can see a person smoking a cigarette and then that little cigarette becomes the most important thing in his or her life. It becomes like a magnet drawing him or her to it. And this is one way that James uses the word temptation. Satan tempts us to sin. See, the devil, the devil is the biggest tempter in the world, walking the streets every day, tempting people to sin. And there's a reason for that. He knows how to sell sin. You know what I'm talking about? He knows how to sell sin. He knows how to sell it. A man went to a store to get some salt. And the clerk said, how much salt do you want? And he carried him to the basement of the store. And it was full of salt. And the customer said to that store clerk, you must know how to sell salt. The store clerk said, no. But the man that sold me all this salt knows how to sell salt. The devil knows how to sell sin. He does. And the second way that the word temptation is used is God tries us. Understand that. God tries us. Some temptations are tests that come from the Lord. The temptations are not inducements to do evil. The temptation to sin is sent to us by Satan to drag us down. However, the temptation to try us by the Lord, Jesus, is to build us up. Did you know the temptations God sends to us are for our benefit? How is temptation for our benefit? You see, God allows temptation to come into our lives, not for God's purpose, because the Lord is omniscient. He knows before we are tempted how we are going to react to that temptation. So the temptation is not for his benefit. It is for our benefit. If temptation of sin is in the heart when it is tested, it will reveal itself. God's temptation is to strengthen us, not to weaken us. Christians and sinners sin. But the difference between a Christian and a sinner sinning is that a Christian falls into sin. You see, if I go outside my home, we have a small pond in the front. And there is a possibility that if I walk out front, I could fall into that pond. But here's the difference between the Christian and the sinner. A Christian may fall into sin, repent, and get out. But a sinner swims in it. They swim in it. They enjoy the sin. If you enjoy swimming in sin, you have a problem. And that is that you have never been born again. Three things I want us to notice this morning. And I want to show you when it comes to temptation. First of all, there is a possibility. There is a possibility. Look at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. And look at the word when. Now, I'm not going to go into those 
five hour long sermons about the word the. But look at the word when. The word of God doesn't say if he is tempted. It says when he is tempted. Many people think that if you are a Christian, and especially if you're a good Christian, you're not going to have any temptations. <laughs> well, I can tell you firsthand that is not scriptural. That is not true. Many people think that if you're a Christian, you're not going to have any temptations. Anybody here want to correct them? <laughs> Before we were saved, we have some horrible, sinful thoughts. After we are saved, the devil will tempt us with those same horrible thoughts of sin. And then the devil will say, you are not saved. If you were saved, you would not have those sinful thoughts. Someone said, we cannot stop a bird from flying over our head, but we can stop him from building a nest there. Amen? We cannot stop the horrible thoughts of sin that the devil puts in our minds, but we do not have to allow him to build those nests with those sinful sins. Jesus was the holy son of God, and he had temptations, and so will we. The minute you become a friend of God, you become an enemy of Satan. And when God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, the devil opens the doors of hell to blast us. That is something that we could all depend on. There was one man who worked for his boss, and that man that worked for this boss was a born-again Christian. And he was always telling his boss that the devil was dogging his footsteps and that he was having difficulty with temptation. And one day they were talking about it while they were out duck hunting, and the boss said to him, Sam, you claim to be a Christian, and yet you're always talking about wrestling with temptation. The devil always being after you and so on and so forth. And he said, I'm not even a Christian. I make no pretense of being a Christian. The devil never bothers me. How do you explain that? The man looked at him and he said, well, boss, suppose we shoot two ducks. One of them falls dead and the other is still flopping in the water. Which one are you going to go after first? Well, he says the one that's still flopping. He said, that's right, boss. The devil knows you are a dead duck. <laughs> but doesn't that make sense? The devil is not going to go after those that he's already got. So we as Christians, if we're fighting temptation constantly, that is a sign that maybe <laughs> we're doing something for the good. And God's giving us an opportunity to push back the devil and say, Nuh-uh, I'm not going for that. And then there's other times when Christians are faced with that temptation and they fail. They go back to that temptation or they start into something within that temptation. But let me share with you, as Christians, some good news about temptation. What 
good news could come from temptation. The good news is that every temptation God allows in our life, he gives strength to overcome that temptation. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. You don't need to turn there. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may also be able to bear it. God gives us the tools. God gives us the opportunity. God gives us the strength to attack those temptations and to be victorious over those temptations. As we live the Christian life, it is not a question of the possibility of temptation. It's just a matter of when. Again, James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. So when it comes to temptation, there is a possibility. The possibility is there. But also, when it comes to temptation, there is an impossibility. In verse 13, look at the word evil. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempt he any man. God does not tempt us with evil because God cannot be tempted with evil. So listen to me carefully. The devil could not tempt the Lord to sin because the devil has nothing that the Lord wants from him. Do we understand that? The devil could not tempt the Lord to sin because the devil has nothing that the Lord wants from him. And the devil cannot tempt you unless you have some sinful desire within you. Let no man say he is tempted by God. But every man loves to play the blame game. Do we not? Love to play the blame game. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? When Adam sinned and God came walking in the midst of the garden? Do you remember Adam's little neat alibi after he ate the forbidden fruit? Adam was playing the blame game that we often play. Notice he actually, he blamed God. He blamed God. In other words, God, if you had not given her to me, I would not have sinned. And then he goes on to blame Eve. Adam said, the woman thou gavest me, she gave me to eat, and I did sin. Adam was actually saying, I'm not guilty. You and Eve are to blame. Shame on you. You did this to me. You placed me in this situation. Someone says that God blamed Adam. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Right? But let me tell you something. Adam was the one who didn't have a leg to stand on. Adam wanted to blame everyone but himself. And this blame game is a very popular game that everyone enjoys playing. Why not? Takes the pressure off of you. 
the buck gets passed on, right? If a man cuts his finger off while slicing salami at work, he can blame the restaurant. If a man smokes three packs a day for 40 years and dies of lung cancer, he blames the tobacco company. If your neighbor crashes into a tree while driving home drunk, he blames the bartender. One day, Adam was, cut, was out hunting with his two boys and came up to the Garden of Eden that he and Eve had been kicked out for eating the forbidden fruit. Adam was staring at the garden, and one of his boys said, Dad, what is wrong with you? Why are you crying? Adam wiped a tear and said, Boys, that is the Garden of Eden right there. That's where we used to live till Mama ate us out of house and home. <laughs> the blame game. But as we go on here, James is going to kind of pull the rug out from underneath Adam. Because there are two things that are impossible. Number one, it is impossible for God to be tempted with evil. Why? Because God has it all. God has it all. There's nothing God needs. There's nothing God wants from Satan. Did you know that it is impossible to buy a birthday gift for a rich man who already has everything he wants? Example. Former President Trump had his airplane painted and remodeled. And the reporter said that if all the gold in his airplane was melted down, it would cover a Greyhound bus. How would you like to buy a birthday gift for him? Or anyone for that matter. God is sufficient in himself and God has no itch the devil can scratch. And God is completely whole. But not only is God completely whole, God is completely holy. He is the antithesis of sin. It is absolutely impossible that God can be tempted. Someone says, well, now wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus tempted? And wasn't Jesus God? Yes. Jesus was tempted. And Jesus was God. But Jesus was more than God. He was also man. Jesus shared our humanity, and in his humanity, Jesus was tempted. But in his deity, Jesus was without sin. Let me show you something about sin. There's something about sin that makes a person want to share it. Have you ever noticed that? Why do people share about their sin? Well, besides the scriptural meaning behind it, when someone shares a sin with me, I'm thinking they're wanting validation that it's okay to do what they're doing. Would you agree with that? Make that person feel better about what they're doing. Maybe if so-and-so over here says, oh, yeah, well, I, I do that too. Oh, well, then I guess it's okay. I don't feel so bad now. Have you ever noticed how those who drink will try to get others to drink with them? Those who commit immorality, they try to get others to do it. That is why Satan tried to induce Eve to sin. 
because Satan was a sinner and he was going to drag everyone he could with him to validate what he was doing. That is, if God places you in a situation that is beyond your control, you are able to blame God. But isn't that kind of what we're still doing today? We don't say, the woman thou gavest me. Many in this world with a variety of orientations say, God made me this way. Oh, saying makes me grow. Ugh, can't stand that. Oh, God made me this way. No. At creation, he made a male and a female for each other. Amen. Here's what we say today. The ghetto that I was raised in or the place where I grew up, that's the reason I act the way I do or I say the things that I say. Or the glands that I inherited made me the way that I am. No. It's those butterfingers and snickers and everything else that I shouldn't eat made me the way that I am. We can blame everybody, but as we point our finger at them, there are three fingers pointing right back at us, right? Every Sunday, Joel Osteen preaches that mankind is basically good. He said 99.9% .9 of mankind is good. Wonder how he knows that. I have a feeling God knows differently. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's one thing that God will never accept for sin, and that is an alibi. You know Why? Because there is no excuse for sin. Absolutely none. God tempts no man with either, nor can he be tempted with evil. But we all know that does not stop evil men. You ask a man, say, why do you drink? He says, well, why do I drink? Well, my wife nags me all the time. It's only an escape. Nag, 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 nag. That's why I drink. And then you might say to her, why do you nag him all the time? Nag him? Why wouldn't I? He drinks, 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 drinks. And that's all he ever does is drink. Everybody can give you an excuse for why they do the evil things that they do. Nat King Cole used to sing that song, It's Me, It's Me. It's me, O oh God, standing in the need of prayer. So when it comes to temptation, there is a possibility and there is an impossibility. But also when it comes to temptation, there is a responsibility. There is a responsibility. If you look at verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. I want you to notice something that sin, what it really is. Sin is an inside job. It's not something that happens 
from without. You can't say the devil made me do it. You're going to have to say I did it all by myself. But let me give you an illustration of that. James illustrates it by an immoral woman seducing a man or by an immoral man seducing a woman. Now, of course, if he or she is seduced, it's a sign that both are immoral. But remember, if they did not have the evil seed in them already, they could not be tempted. I want you to notice that it is the figure of speech that he's actually talking about. He's not just merely talking about that particular kind of sin. And he's not merely talking about the sin of adultery and fornication and immorality. He is using this and that kind of sin as an illustration of all kinds of sin. Because there is a certain seductiveness of sin. It is appealing. You look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, that would be great. And then you're pulled back. James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he of any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Notice the two words drawn away. And it's a word that is a, and I'm going to go back to previous illustration with the fishing. But it is a fisherman's word. It is a term that would describe a fisherman who catches a fish by using a special bait or a lure. And so here's the story. Here's a fisherman. He knows that Mr. Bass is out there somewhere and he's trying to outthink him. So he says, I just believe Mr. Bass is hungry for this particular bait. And he takes it off his hat and he puts it on there and Mr. Bass is hungry for this particular worm. At least that's what he thinks in his mind. Or Mr. Bass would like this particular bait. Now, if Mr. Bass does not like that kind of bait, it would not be a temptation to him. But Satan knows you better than you know yourself. Now he's trying to outthink Mr. Bass, and that fisherman takes out that rod and that reel, and he throws it out there just right. And Mr. Bass is up under that log, and he knows there's a lily pad there, and it lands in the water, makes a little ripple. And then Mr. Fisherman waits for a moment and he twitches it once. He feels it a little and he lets it sit there. And then he twitches it again. And old Mr. Bass is watching it and watching it. And then there's something in Mr. Bass that says, I want that. I want that. And so suddenly that bass can't stand it no longer and he gobbles it up and he finds out it's a hook. And then the fight is on. But you see, that's the word that James is using. Every man is drawn away of his own lust. The devil knows what kind of bait to get you with. Remember, James is only using an illustration. You see, he threw out three separate baits to Jesus. First of all, turn these stones to bread. He baited his hook with bread. And Jesus said, I'm not going to take that bait. And then he said, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. 
And then he baited the bread with pride, and Jesus wouldn't go for that bait either. And then he took the bait of materialism, and he threw that out. You see, the devil was fishing. But Jesus refused to take the bait, and he refused. But the devil is still a fisherman. Do you know a big mistake that preachers make quite often? Is that they try to tell young people there's no pleasure in sin. That's ridiculous. Of course there is pleasure in sin. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.25, the pleasures of sin are but for season. But he does not tell us what is to follow sin. Remember King David when he saw that beautiful woman bathing herself and he had a physical relationship with her. But later she sent word to David when they had this sinful relationship that a baby was now on the way. Let me illustrate it this way. Dr. Odell Belger was visiting a hog farmer. He had a long barn and he had stalls for each hog. And every day he would feed the hogs slop and they would gobble it all up. Now these hogs might have thought, man, I've got it made. Every day this farmer gives me everything that I want to enjoy. But what that hog does not know is he is being fattened up for the slaughter. You can eat the devil's corn if you want to, but he'll choke you on the cob. Amen? The devil, through temptation, can make sin look so good. So good. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, and when it moves itself aright. Did you know that there are a few things on earth more beautiful than a glass of wine? Have you ever looked at a glass of wine? The colors? I never liked wine, but the colors are beautiful. The ruby red, the sparkling, and they bubble and they call it bubbly, right? Look at Proverbs twenty-three thirty-two. then. At the last... It gives like a serpent and stings like an adder. Have you noticed that when they advertise these things on TV, they always have a beautiful woman or a handsome man that's drinking and they're having fun and everything is just hunky-dory, right? They do not show that young couple when that sin comes home to roost. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Every day, he walks the streets looking for someone who is not trusting in the Lord. And when he finds them, he starts tempting them. Listen, I'm <laughs> preaching to some of you, and some of you I'm not. But if I am preaching to you this morning, wake up. Wake up. Wake up to sin before it's too late. Dr. Adrian Rogers tells us, one day I got a telephone call from Mr. Brewer himself, brew company or beer company. And he said, Mr. Rogers, I need to see you. He said, I'll meet you in my office in five minutes. And 
I knew what he wanted to talk about, but I acted like I didn't. I said, what do you want to talk about? He says, well, it's that sign of yours out there. He says, well, what about it? Because I believe it discriminates on my product. And by the way, the product is talking about beer and how it's awful for you. He says, I believe it's discriminatory of my product. And he said, Mr., I want you to know that your product is brewed with tears, thickened with blood, and flavored with death. And if I were you, I'd get on my knees right now and ask God to have mercy on me. He says, well, I, he wasn't expecting that, and I think he wanted an apology. Well, he said, if you want to talk to that way, talk that way about it, he said, I believe that discriminates against my product and my grounds for a lawsuit. He said, wonderful, sue. I'd like to see this picture on the front page of the newspaper. He says, you know, you got a lot of nerve. You're constantly bombarding our young people. You're painting the most beautiful scenes that the artist can imagine. And you're coming by means of radio, by means of television, by means of newspaper, and by means of billboards and everything else telling these kids to drink that stuff. And you only show half the picture. And I put one measly sign on a parking lot of a church, and you've got your hackles up. And he said, I'll make you a deal. He says, all right, I'll make you a deal. Take your signs down, and I'll take my sign down. They don't want to show the finished product. They don't want to show the person in the gutter covered with his own mess. They don't want to show the broken homes. They don't want to show the wrecked automobiles. They don't want to show the marriages that have been broken. They don't want to show when that serpent bites. Why do men and women give into temptation? You see, a man falls into temptation and a woman falls into temptation because they're trying to satisfy some evil desire within them. I want to tell you that God made you. God so made you that you can never be satisfied unless you're satisfied with Jesus Christ. Because he alone satisfies, amen? God made a fish to swim in the sea and God made a bird to soar in the air. And God made you to know him and to love him and to serve him. God did something for you that he didn't do for any other creation. God put within you a spirit. God made you in his image and you are restless and you will be restless until you rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you know Jesus Christ, You'll be like a fish in a tree. You'll be like a bird in the sea. You'll be like that round peg in a square hole. So what's, what's the conclusion to all of this? I'll leave you with the story. The story of a man who was visiting Niagara Falls in the spring. And here's what he said about his visit. He tells us it was spring and ice was rushing down the river. He says, as I viewed the large blocks of ice flowing towards the falls, I could see that there were carcasses of dead fish embedded in the ice. And the seagulls, by the score, were riding down the river feeding on these fish. And they came to the brink of the falls. Their wings would go out, and they would escape from the falls. 
He says, but I watched one particular seagull which seemed to delay. And I wondered when it would leave. It was so engrossed in the feeding of this fish. And when it finally came to the brink of the falls, out went its powerful wings. The bird flapped and flapped and even lifted the ice out of the water. And I thought it would escape. But it had delayed too long. So that its claws had frozen into the ice. And the weight of the ice was too great. And that seagull plunged to its death. I wonder if that's a lot like us. Because that is the picture of the lost man. The lost man always waits. And then it's too late. So when we're out in the field. And we're out doing God's work. We're doing what he's called us to do. To reach those who are lost. Don't let those people be like seagulls. Let them know that God loves them. Let them know that God cares for them. Let them know that now is the time. Don't be too late. Don't go over those falls. Temptation is difficult. Temptation will always be around. But I think I could say amen to that because... That means God is strengthening each and every one of us to overcome those temptations. And how awesome is his power and his love for us that he's willing to do that for us. Amen. Dave, come and lead us. And as we go today, may we remember this. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah. Oh, let's thank Him. I thank you, oh my Savior, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. We know that we're going to face temptation, but Lord, that only means that you're going to be able to show your power, that you're going to be able to strengthen us. And Lord, I pray that when you do that, that we accept it and we accept the challenge that you've laid out before us. Lord, we want to be like Paul. We want to go out in those desperate situations. And even though it may fall on deaf ears, it's what you've called us to do. And so we do it willingly. We do it because there might be a chance that we might reach someone, whether it be today, tomorrow, or even a year from now. Lord, the things that we do in your calling, in your presence, in your, um, in your very sight, Lord, 
we know that is for your glory and for your honor. And so we need to do it willingly. Thank you, Lord, for our time. Keep us safe. Bring us back to the various ministries that we will have. And Lord, I pray that as we move forward and we're looking forward to all the things that we um, will be doing here at this church, again, you alone will be glorified through all of it. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.